out there, it's different, but what we have traditionally is the same. Having that caribou kind of remind a child that like, if you're somewhere and you just want to take it, you know, maybe think about it and you take what you need and you use everything. Listen, but don't listen to form an answer, to form a response. Listen to actually hear and understand and feel what's trying to be shared with you. So not only is the child learning, but the educator and the parent, they are too learning. And it, you know, it amplifies the meaning of the book. Hello, and welcome to Earthy Chats, where we're cross-pollinating ideas in environmental education. We're here to share with you the best environmental education resources from across Canada and chat with their creators, digging in as to why they do this work, how they do it, and what you can do with it. I'm one of your hosts, Jade Harvey Beryl. I'm the Wild Voices Program Manager for the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAM for short, a member of Canada's non-profit outdoor learning store team, and owner of Stoked on Science, an education company and consultancy where I deliver and design environmental and science programs for K-8 adult across BC. And I'm another one of your hosts, Ian Shanahan, the general editor of Green Teacher, a global network of environmental educators that produces a quarterly magazine, books, webinars, and the podcast, Talking with Green Teachers. Let's get started. And in my opinion, that mindfulness ties heavily into what the book is trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accomplish in saving everything that holds our traditions and our values. Because that's where all of this came from. That's where all of these characters and all of our teachings come from. They come from the land. And what we see on a daily basis, what we see year after year, you know, autumn comes around and it's like, okay, Okay, so let's get started um, with this month's podcast, and I am incredibly excited to introduce the book, Sela and the Land. And so Sela and the Land is the story of a young Inuk girl who goes on a journey across the north, east, south and west. Along the way, Sela meets different animals, plants and elements that teach her about the importance of the land and her responsibilities to protect it for future generations. Three young Indigenous women came together to write a children's book that could help share perspectives on the land common across First Nations, Métis and Inuit communities. This includes a shared respect for the earth and an understanding of our responsibilities to protect it for future generations. In order to convey these perspectives in the story, the authors spoke with youth from a number of Indigenous communities across Canada. They asked about why the environment was important to each of them and what land-based teachings and experiences were significant to their identities and cultures. Their responses helped shape this book, offering examples of things Sela could learn from the land during her journey, traveling across the North, East, South and West. Uh, it's also important to note that while there are shared perspectives across indigenous communities, there are also many differences. Uh, this book isn't claiming to represent any specific cultures or teaching, but is instead um, designed to encourage children and youth uh, to seek out knowledge from the territories that they're living on. 
It also aims to inspire other young Indigenous writers and illustrators to believe in their gifts and the powers of stories. Oh, so exciting. Um, it's quite a long intro because there's just so much information, so bear with me. Um, but this book was a collaboration that was created as part of the Climate Action 150 with support from Taking It Global and Green Learning Canada and with financial support from Environment and Climate Change Canada and the Catherine Donnelly Foundation. A portion of the proceeds of the book will go towards the Native Youth Sexual Health Network and their work which is bringing attention to the impacts of environmental violence on Indigenous health rights and justice. So to get into it, uh, joining us today is co-author of Sila in the Land, Wandanora Ariana Roundpoint. Did my best there. Uh, this book shares indigenous teachings through the story of this young Anuk girl who travels meeting plants, animals and elements. Uh, Sila learns her responsibility of carrying the knowledge of her ancestors to protect the land for future generations. Hello, welcome. <laughs> How do I follow that up? <laughs> <laughs> Even Ariana's speechless. She's like, yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so you've graduated now? Uh, yeah, I've been out of school for three years and I actually start college next week. So wow. I, took, I took a break and um, I'm doing a consulting business around uh, cultural, uh, almost appropriation uh, with the school mm. boards around here. So this book has helped a lot <laughs> to open doors like that and to gain access to um, broad school boards where the curriculums are changing now. So it's, it's had a really good and big impact. <laughs> Which school board are you joining us from? Um, so Upper Canada District School Board. Uh, they cover the, I think it's the South Dundas, uh, Glengarry and Ottawa area i think uh, it's a big school board and they yeah. have quite a lot of schools and i attended high school uh, through one of their schools uh, located in cornwall i'm actually from the reservation like five minutes from it i border between canada and the united states so to get to one or the other you have to cross through the island i live on <laughs> yeah oh, so you're right on the saint lawrence oh yeah yeah we're like fabulous we're right in the middle we, we like to say that we're like the safest community you can get into. We got border patrol just on both <laughs> Yeah, <sides>. no doubt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so for regular listeners to the show, they will know that we just love a good nature pun. And there will probably be several during this episode. The first of which will be regarding seeds, seeds of inspiration. So let's start with seeds, which you could argue are one of the most remarkable things on the planet. Where did the seeds of inspiration for this project start? I'd have to say, in my opinion, it came from that common interest to spread that awareness for what's happening to the earth. And being able to have that opportunity to share how we felt, but also to bring the voices of the people that we've grown up with or that we've watched grown into adults that have a voice and that want to share that voice we wanted that voice heightened and when we got the opportunity from green learning through taking it global it kind of just all fell into place really nicely this book just holds kind of so much power and 
the influence that it also has, it sparked so much. So I have to say the inspiration came from wanting to bring proper awareness and bring a proper voice to the world, especially younger kids. They're so impressionable at young ages and to have the opportunity to step into classrooms and step into a spotlight with them to share all these different teachings that we grow up with and that we hear almost on a daily basis or you know doing little, little tasks with family we learn those so to be able to share that and to share the harmony that we have with the earth and how we embrace it having that opportunity is more than uh, in my opinion I could have ever asked for and it definitely has opened up a lot of doors and a lot of opportunities push me out of my comfort zone a little bit too mm. but it I have to say that that inspiration was just like we wanted to share and we wanted to speak up and the three of us were very opinionated and very vocal so having this book kind of dropped in front of us it was a very big microphone <laughs> yeah. yeah no doubt it's always so fascinating sort of going from the broad scale big issues down to the particulars of how you express the story that you want to convey for the people that you are trying to convey it to i mean how did you go from those big ideas down to this very specific story it, it took a long time, I'm yeah. honest. If I recall correctly, it did take nearly a complete year to from start to finish. And the majority of that was, you know, going back to our communities, listening to the youth, interviewing the youth, and kind of compiling everything. And it's like, okay, what are the similarities that we have within our cultures? What are the similarities that have been taught? So then once we sat down and it was, you know, we took a look, we realized that there were a lot of commonalities. So we took those and it's like, okay, those were the main points. Those were the points that we had to convey. And along the way, you know, some of the smaller lessons were also implemented, but in different ways, uh, in different dialogue that Sila had with the characters. and. I think uh, once we finally got to a point where we were satisfied with it, then everything started rolling a bit more quickly, but being very picky about it because we want to properly convey what we're taught. And I know, well, I know for myself, I do put a disclaimer out that I don't speak on behalf of everyone. You know, what right. I learned with my family is different from what somebody else learned right down the road. We all learn different things and we're all learning in a different environment. So to see the three of us kind of come together with our different backgrounds and to compile all that information and to finally be able to share it in a manner that resonated deeply with not only us, but our readers and educators. It was a bit tough in the beginning because there were so many ideas so many and yeah, it's we hard wanted... to eliminate the good ones yeah. 
it really was. And it was just kind of like, well, we want to have this in here and we want to have that in there. And it's like, okay, but what are the bigger picture? What's the bigger picture? What's kind of, what covers all of that? And once we figured that out, everything just kind of like rolled seamlessly. What were the priorities, you know, as you were sort of working through the creative process and saying, we've got all these ideas, but we can't use all of them. Sort of what stuck and why was it important that those particular aspects were the ones that you went forward with? So first, like the book was cut in half. So I wrote half and then Shelby wrote half. And, you know, like we took what was, I guess what we held dearest, for example, I think would be the maple tree. So Mm, I love the maple tree. (laughs) Oh, that makes me so happy. Uh, Only because for myself, especially, um, the maple tree did resonate a lot with me. And when the tree spoke about roots and knowing, basically knowing one's power and knowing where you're coming from, it gives so much confidence and power to especially young kids but adults as well because it's like you're you have that opportunity I guess you have that opportunity to kind of broadcast to the world through who you are where you've come from what you've endured and you know you're still standing there and you're still standing in front of people and you're still your feet are still planted on this earth and there's constant growth. I, you feel that. You feel that in, in the story as it progresses. Oh, yeah. Just this constant evolution of her understanding and knowledge. Hey there, folks. This is Ian, one half of the Earthy Chats host team. I'm just here to let you know about the Talking with Green Teachers podcast produced by Green Teacher. If you don't know who Green Teacher is, we are a nonprofit network of environmental educators all around the world. You can join this network for only $32 a year. That includes a subscription to our quarterly magazine, which has been running in North America since 1991. All proceeds go back into the organization to help us enhance environmental literacy among young learners. For more information, check out greenteacher.com. You can find Talking with Green Teachers wherever you get your podcasts. I have to say, for me, like the character or the moment that stands out the most or resonated was um, when she encounters the wind mm-hmm. and um, like learning to be strong like the wind. But at first, she's slightly sort of like the wind kind of tosses her about and nearly knocks her over. And I feel like that's sometimes me in life, social situations, anything, just sort of coming at people a bit hard like the wind. But then actually to see that as a power to have a voice and to have a presence uh, and to not be ashamed of that. Um, your book made me, yeah, it, it really connected with my heart um, a little bit there. And I know for myself, like to just hear that from someone and to hear how the book resonates with them and what type of power and energy that the three of us put into this book. And the way that you're able to feel that and how it resonates with you and how it, it, it does change in a, an individual in subtle ways or in big ways. And it's funny that you bring up, <laughs> that you bring up the wind because when I first kind of thought of the wind, it was 
we wanted to give him, we wanted to give all of the characters a form. And when I got to that part, I really didn't know how to give him a form, but I knew that it was a strong energy and it was a masculine energy. And only because in our stories, in our Mohawk legends stories, we have the four uh, winds. We have the four winds, one from each direction. And some of our stories encounter the wind and what, you know, the north wind has like that force. And then, you know, the south wind is just like, you know, soft and there's a gentleness to it. But that masculine energy that I kind of put into that character was for that purpose exactly, you know, to give that reader, to give that child or the educator that sense of, I guess, power is is good word as I, that I can think of because it, it does. And it, it instills a type of confidence that, you know, you walk around and, you know, the wind tells you that everything can come at you and everything will try to knock you over and everything is going to do its best to deter you. But it's all in that, how you perceive yourself and how you hold yourself. And I think that confidence needs to be boosted like a lot, especially in indigenous communities and our youth, because it's, there's so much that we go through uh, silently or publicly. And to have that as support behind you, to have that reminder, to have somebody there to at least remind you, it brings about a new face to the generations. And in all honesty, like that is all I could have hoped for uh, when writing that part, because, you know, Sila does almost get taken away, but she does recall how the maple tree reminded her, you always have roots. You always have roots and you can't be taken away if you don't want to be, you know? I, I that just it warms my heart <laughs> to kind of hear how that resonates with another person because it's like you're a world away but you were able to feel that and I think that's for myself that was the basis of the book to have that resonate with a young mind and a young soul and you know somebody that hasn't quite started their path in life yet so I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> and I think it would connect with all different demographics. It's beautifully illustrated. It's visual for the younger kids, but there's depth of prose for, for older students. I think you provide an incredible representation uh, of Indigenous perspectives. And like that's a, that's a big point. So in my work as an environmental educator and I've you talk and you've repeated about the fact that there are different perspectives and different first nations have different approaches and different parts to their legends do you feel like your book with that collaborative effort with people from different places um does something to bridge old divisions and and unite voices together absolutely when we first started it, it was a bit odd for me I've never shared my passion with other people, if that makes sense. So to have these two other women that, you know, 
had that same love for reading and writing and creating and having that traditional and mentality, but also background, it really did bridge a gap because it, it did show me that out there it's different, but what we have traditionally is the same. We hold very similar, what is it? Not traditions, but values. We hold mm. the same values. And those values were exhibited through our characters. And, you know, the I mean, the first one was, I think, the caribou. And mm -hmm. the caribou showed that ethical ethical foraging and yeah gathering yep, sorry harvest. i just and you're, and you're, i just snuck in there <laughs> but you're all, i like him he's <laughs> i think he was a really good character to start with because you're shown that you have everything around you you have everything at your fingertips and we are in a world that just wants to take 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 <laughs> and so having that caribou kind of remind a child that like if you're somewhere and you just want to take it you know maybe think about it and you take what you need and you use everything i remember at a very young age you know we're doing whatever and it's like okay you only take what you need you don't have to fill up everything and that mentality actually stems from residential schools and the trauma that that's inflicted upon past generations and trauma that we're still dealing with for a lot of families so because everything was taken everything was taken nothing was given back and it was just there was no regret about it so once those families started to get getting bigger and those children ended up having children and those children had children that trauma of holding on to everything and taking everything that you can get and you know stocking up even if you might not need it constantly having it there because you don't know if it's going to get taken away again it's the type of trauma that in my opinion and I'm, I don't know if other people may share it but in my opinion, it's the type of trauma that we need to heal and let go of because that take, take, take mentality, it does become exhausting and it does become toxic because you're, there's nothing left for the person behind you or there's nothing left for the individuals that have been, you know, waiting for that. So it's, to me, that's what the caribou represented. And it resonated a lot with some of the younger kids that I had read to. And I was really happy about that. It's, it's all so relevant, sorry. It's all just, it's so good to, and that's what a good book does, even though this is what technically a kid's book, is it ties into your emotion, your culture, your history, your thoughts, your feelings. So that's why those things happen. You, it connects to you and then you, you have to share. It's true. It's true. <laughs> All of the resources featured in this podcast, plus many more, for students and educators alike, can be found online at the Outdoor Learning Store. Visit www.outdoorlearningstore.ca to view what's on offer. 
from waterproof notepads to binoculars and dip nets to sit pads, the store has you covered to take your learning outside. In addition, there are educator resource books to help you take your outdoor education to the highest level. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. We're Canada's non-profit resource store. We are the Columbia Basin Environmental Education Network, or CBEAN. You can visit our website at cbeen.ca. We are the regional network for environmental education in the Columbia Basin, supporting a community of engaged and effective environmental educators by connecting them to resources, information, professional development and networking opportunities. In the path forward in healing and towards reconciliation, one thing that we hear about so much is connecting with the land and really understanding the land. Because mm. I think you can tell people, don't take the largest salmon, you know, mm. a, as is the case in the book. But to really ground people mm. in truly understanding why they really have to know the land and that, you know, this is not revolutionary information that so many people are disconnected from the land. And one of the big questions that I think all of us in our various walks of life are trying to achieve is to reconnect people. And what are some suggestions that you have to get people to see the land and know the land and learn better from the land? Wow. Okay. <laughs> I think the best way, in my opinion, is to listen. We're living in a world where we constantly have noise and mm. we constantly have to have something on around us. And I don't think a lot of people are quite comfortable with their own silence. So kind of like going outside and I know it is hard for people in the cities. It is difficult, but even, you know, you take that stroll to a local park or maybe that body of water near your city, you take that stroll and you kind of give the world around you an opportunity to connect with you, to find its way to you. And I mean, the world is always working, working for you in one way or another. And taking that, taking those moments to be silent and to kind of live in that present is cliches that may sound a you give yourself the opportunity to uh, listen to that to hear that what the world kind of needs it's kind of a broad question how how can people connect basically reconnect with the world i think you have to want it and hmm. you have to want to hear that and listen to it and feel that energy coming from it uh, i know like we live on the island and we have enough room around us where we could take a stroll you know through the woods or down a path or whatever and we have that freedom to do so and while doing that your best way I can describe it is you're embraced in your entirety by nature and by every living thing around you it's resonating at a frequency where it's able to heal you. And that's one of the biggest things, one of the biggest worries I know that we have is, you know, our earth is sick, but like the one, like the one character, the eagle kind of 
talks about the water and how water heals our minds. The water has the ability to heal our souls and has the ability to absorb every intention that we put out there into the world. Every thought, every word that we spell out, it's put out there, spelled out, is put out there. And that character, I feel, captures the essence of what water is to us, what nature is to us. It has those healing capabilities. And for individuals that just, you know, so caught up in like the go, go, go of the world today, uh, kind of take that moment and like I said in the, the beginning, just listen to take that moment. You're doing what everybody else is not doing. And that's a step towards we're trying to accomplish with the book, in my opinion. So it's just kind of like you're, I mean, people recycle and that's a step. People use compost and that's a step. That is a very big step to just be mindful. And in my opinion, that mindfulness ties heavily into what the book is trying to accomplish, what we're trying to accomplish in saving everything that holds our traditions and our values. Because that's where all of this came from. That's where all of these characters and all of our teachings come from. They come from the land. And what we see on a daily basis, what we see year after year, you know, autumn comes around and it's like, okay, we have to harvest. We have to stack the wood, get ready. We have to, some people go hunting. There's a certain time of year that they go hunting and that's, they learn things while they're out and they bring those teachings back. So it's really just that mindfulness. And I think I shared with a student before to listen, but don't listen to form an answer, to form a response. Listen to actually hear and understand and feel what's trying to be shared with you, whether it's verbally or emotionally. It's, it's that power to listen. And yeah. Is that a big reason why everything in the book, whether it's a living thing or not, is given a definitive character? So a rock has a character. You mentioned about the wind has a character. The caribou has a character. The eagle has a character. Everything has a definitive character, living or non-living. What went into the decision to do that? I'm always interested in the creative choices related to that. Well, I think it was because it was a children's book, it kind of made it easier to do that. Sure. To give a visual to kids that would be reading the book. You know, you see the salmon and it's like the salmon's talking about always remembering how to get home. Or you see a tree and that tree is talking about roots and what those roots represent. So then whenever they're out and about, they're with their parents or their families or whomever, and they'll spot that. And it's like, oh, well, that's what that tree taught me in the book. <laughs> that's, what, that's, that's what I learned from the tree or the rock or the salmon or the ptarmigan and the long view of the ptarmigan up yeah. in the sky looking forward and i sorry i just had to jump in there because that when you're talking about things like climate change 
Um, and it's a really complex topic that adults in government can't seem to figure out any sort of productive plans over. And yet in your book, it's just like, just look to the future, have a think about the impacts. And it seems so obvious that we need to make change now. Um, I love the ptarmigan also. I'm a bit bit of a fan of all of them, evidently. (laughs) New friends. They all resonate with a a different message. And we all pick up on a different message. I know, I don't know how many times I've read the book, but each student that has ever asked a question about the book has found something different to find in a character, in each and every character throughout. And it always kind of got me thinking. And that was the part I enjoyed the most, was having the conversation open up to so many different avenues that adults usually wouldn't think to go down. It's just like the fascinating uh, tracks of a, a little, of a child and what they see and how they see it. And I think with every character in the book, the reason why we gave them form and a character and everything, especially, for example, like the wind and the rock, they're not things we would commonly think of to have a character, to have characteristics. Right. To have have life. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to have that, it brings about a new perspective and a new way of thinking to people. I think my favorite part was actually giving all of those teachings character because we hear about them. And I know growing up, you know, they would be on (laughs) posters in our classrooms and there would be little pictures but they didn't have feeling or they didn't have character to it so when this came along it was kind of like okay you know this is how i saw strength you know i seen it as you know those those hard winter winds that come through here Mm -hmm. you know they're fighting and they're unrelenting what instead of being like oh my god it's so cold it's like okay well what does that teach us Uh, What can that teach us? So when we started the book, that was one of the first things that came to mind. And it was like to have that strength, that inner strength. I was like, okay, well, it's kind of like wind, you know, there's no way to stop wind. You just, how are you going to stop it? And then to give that an order where, well, if you can't stop it, you know, how would, how could we harness that? How could we harness that feeling in that character and essentially, you know, like adopt it in ourselves? So I know for me, that was kind of the inspiration behind the wind, similar to my inspiration behind uh, the maple tree. And and when you give a voice to these inanimate objects, like the non-living things in our ecosystem are, are just as important for shelter, for animals or for, you know, as rocks are transformed through the rock cycle and go back down into the earth and create mountains again and make the soil that allows you know get broken down into soil so that plants can grow that we eat like it's all connected and I feel like when you gave a voice to those non-living things you helped me and I know you're going to help all the kids that I'm going to read this to in my classes connect more into being a part of the ecosystem and everything having value and for me from the indigenous 
learning that I have had access to, that is so integral to the stories and the culture and the belief system is that everything is valuable. It's all got a spirit. It's all important. We aren't at the top in charge of things. So, um, yeah, you did a phenomenal job uh, of expressing that. Stoked on Science, providing engaging, educational and fun programmes across the Columbia Basin. Is your school or organisation looking to develop your environmental programming? Connect your outdoor time more deeply to the curriculum or engage your students or teachers with unique programmes that go beyond the basic science topics, like delving into the history of the earth, how it's changed and where it's going. If so, visit www.stokedonscience.com to connect for environmental education consulting or to book programs for your K-12 and adult professional development courses. What, uh, what are your hopes or outcomes for the book? Is there anything in particular that you're like, ah, if that happens, then I'll be just stoked? Um... <laughs> I think I have uh, uh, quite a few hopes, but my my main one is to be able to have this implemented into schools, to have it in schools and, and not just, you know, we're English dominant schools, but also indigenous schools on reservations, you know, throughout. I mean, if we could reach inter- international waters and have it there, and have it embraced in all of its entirety, not just in the English language, but also in native languages, you know, throughout any and every region. To have that would be, in all honesty, it would be a dream come true, especially I see like for here, my community, because there's so much language being lost and a lot of people are working hard to bring it back. So to have a book like Sela and the Land where younger kids are able to resonate with it and you know see it and be instantly grasped by it, but also to have them see it in their own language, it fulfills a part or it fulfills a dream that I think I've had for a long time, you know, having that ability to speak and to kind of do away with that challenge for young kids and to have them open the book and it's like okay you know we're gonna read it and we're gonna see the picture and we're gonna we're gonna be able to have our language in the book and to sit there and have a teacher read it to them or have a parent read it to them so not only is the child learning but the educator and the parent they are too learning and it you know it amplifies the meaning of the book and my own dreams and intentions with the book. Did you see um, a lack of representation uh, for Indigenous people, characters within literature or books when you were growing up? Was that a thing? Yeah. That in the school system rather than in an oral culture where you're sharing at home? Like, Yeah. Um, I know each and every... Uh, school board you know they have their they have their pros and cons to it and you know how they establish themselves and everything but I think 
one thing that I thought, even at a young age, was really lacking was the representation of our own language in our schools. And the expectations that were placed upon young people or are placed upon young people to bring back the language, to speak the language, to do your best at it, or, you know, you, like you need to speak it. There wasn't a lot of support, in my opinion, um, in the school systems. Cause I mean, you're there for how many hours out of the day and everybody's speaking English and you get maybe 40 minutes of Mohawk a couple times a week. Like that was our elementary school and junior high. Like that's, that's what it was. And I think the underrepresentation kind of stemmed or bred that dream to be able to have this in the schools so that what I experienced and what I seen and what I hoped would change while I was still in there uh, has an opportunity to change. You know, even if it is with uh, this children's book, who's to say that this book doesn't open up so many new doors with the education system that we have or the, the numerous education systems out there? You know, who's to say that one book can't change the way children learn? And even if it is just like a couple words that they're learning at a time, you know, one word a day is you build up a vocabulary by the end of the year. You have learned absolutely words by the end mm-hmm. of the year. And, and their brains absorb, right? And you start to like think of the, the new language for that word whenever you see it as, as opposed and it becomes, filters in and absorbs. Absolutely. But you've given a voice to three Indigenous authors and an Indigenous artist and to uh, the plants and animals and to the relationship between a grandmother and a grandchild and to a respect for the land and a a reconnecting to Indigenous ways of knowing and that protecting future generations and sustainability. It's a really all-encompassing special book uh, and I'm very grateful for you for writing it and it will feature a lot in my outdoor environmental education uh, for sharing key themes um, or the most important themes so I thank you for that Um, are there any final thoughts uh, that you'd like to share any thank yous for people or or, uh, joys you'd like to express before we, we we wrap up here I think buy the book you can't say it I can (laughs) Um, but no it's it's more of a I don't think I would ever I mean I would push it but I wouldn't at the same time and I mean it it found you guys it found you guys and it was I was completely caught off guard by the email that um, Naz sent me because it was just like so out of the blue and there was so much going on at one point and I was trying to finish things for her and then for green learning, and then this came up and it was just all like, you know, like Sealand the land found these opportunities and opened these doors. And, you know, like who, who's to say what, what's going to happen next with this, with just this discussion. Uh, but like the thank yous would have to go out to the people that worked on this book, especially, but also to the people that take the time to read it. Cause I know it's like, <laughs> It is a long book in terms of a children's book, 24 pages for a children's yeah. book. 
And but, it's meaty though. It's one that you can really read aloud to a class, even if they don't have the reading there yet. It's one you can enjoy over time. Yeah. Um, and I think that that part, you know, to thank people, there have been so many events that kind of led up to the opportunity to write a book. And like, I do have to thank my school and the opportunities that as uh, a native student, that I was granted, it gave me the opportunity to meet people at a young age and to establish relationships and connections and to keep those connections up. And I think that's the most important thing that I kind of relay to students that are in school now. It's like, yeah, we all have our comfort zones and we all know what we like and don't like. And there's always going to be times where we're scared. And, you know, to take that step you never know where that opportunity is going to find you. So that opportunity to go and visit a university that I thought I was going to go to, meeting Lindsay and, you know, just random conversation, telling her that I loved writing. And then it snowballed into working with Taking It Global and becoming uh, a part of that team and having a chance to meet new people and to write a book and, you know, to continue my passions as a writer and to start my second book. It, it's more of a, it almost seems dreamlike in my opinion to me because I, I don't think as a, as a young girl, I don't think I ever would have seen this for me. So. But when you're doing what you're passionate about, this flow state, right, of, of opportunities yeah. coming to you, of, of, of being like the river and finding the path of least resistance to, to your ocean of opportunities. Like... My ocean of opportunities. Oh, nicely, nicely done. <laughs> I, like, I like words too. I, <laughs> from one person who loves words to another. Um, I just want to say uh, to uh, our listeners, you can buy Sila and the Land uh, at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's outdoorlearningstore.ca and support the voices of Indigenous people on Turtle Island. It's about time. Um, Thank you so much, uh, Wandanora, for Ariana, for joining us uh, and for sharing your soul and the spirit. Um, It's a beautiful book uh, and it's magic that you wrote it. And along with your co-authors, of course, uh, that's Shelby Angelic uh, and Lindsay Dupre as well. Um, any final thoughts there, Ian? Well, just thank you so much for being part of this conversation and the broader conversation that you've engaged everyone in by writing this story. And I'm very much looking forward to your second book. Oh, spoiler alert. Do we have any That'll published a, date or anything? A, a follow-up episode. Um, it's actually in the... At the moment, it's in translation. I'm hoping to get it done before the year's end. Ooh, um, okay. Way, uh, the language reconciliation uh, plays a big part in it. So, so it's Fabulous. imminent. Well, send it our way and come back for another chat, please. Um, and so we will uh, say goodbye from our Earthy Chats today. That was a fantastic one. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you so much for joining us for this month's Earthy Chat. You can find the resources featured in this podcast at the Outdoor Learning Store. That's www.outdoorlearningstore.ca. You can also visit greenteacher.com for incredible educational resources and webinars. 
and cbean that's c-b-e-e-n.org for a range of environmental resources including professional development opportunities grant information and green jobs lastly you can visit www.stotonscience.com to chat with me jade about science workshops or educational consulting Tune in next month for more cross-pollination of ideas and another fun, earthy chat. Likewise. Can, can you share a, a, a phrase of thanks, like like in Tanaha, oh. which is around us, like we say, Husikanani, uh, which means like from my from my heart, soul, thank you. Uh, so we would say Nyamangoa. 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 So that's kind of like a grand thank you and a grand appreciation. Nyamangoa, right back at you. Nyamangoa. <laughs> <laughs> Yay.